Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am your host, Rachel R. Harris. So y'all, my life has been a little crazy. If you follow us over on the Instagram, you know we had an eventful couple of days. So um, I am going to reshare an episode with you that I don't think got enough listens because I think it's really relevant and really important. So um, our really good friend and veterinarian, Dr. Caitlin Leonard, joined me for this conversation and we talk all about the correlation between your dog's physical health and your dog's behavioral health. And I think that this is something that we all kind of have a hard time wrapping our minds around because we think our dogs are eating and drinking and they should be just fine. Um, But I think that there are some subtleties, right, that are happening in our dog's bodies that oftentimes we miss. And if we can kind of remedy some of that physical stuff, it'll have a ripple effect, behaviorally speaking. So um, Dr. Caitlin is amazing. She is who works on Tiva and Waylon. So many of you who follow us on Instagram already know that um, they get chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, laser. Um, Dr. Caitlin's really kind of our wonder woman for keeping the dogs uh, um, in really good physical health. So enjoy this episode. I hope you all are well wherever you are. Uh, do me a favor. If you have a topic suggestion for the podcast, head over to disorderlydogs.com and you could submit your topic there. And if I do end up doing an episode with your topic, I will be sure to shout out your social media if you are into that kind of thing. Everybody, be well. Enjoy this episode. Talk to you next week. Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. My special guest today is Dr. Caitlin Leonard. She is a veterinarian and owner of On Track Veterinary Care. She provides therapeutic rehabilitation, acupuncture, and chiropractic services for companion animals in the Denver area. She graduated from the Doctor of Veterinary Medicine program at Colorado State University. She's certified in canine physical rehabilitation through the University of Tennessee. She's also certified in veterinary medical acupuncture and she has advanced animal training in chiropractic and she is amazing she is who works on both Tiva and Waylon and I am so grateful for her and I am so grateful that she took the time to share all of her knowledge with us today so um, if you like this episode take a screenshot you can tag us both on um, Instagram and I will include links in the show notes to um, her Instagram handle and how to um, find out more about Dr. Caitlin. So enjoy this episode, guys. All right, guys. So I am here with Dr. Caitlin Leonard, and she is going to share all of her veterinary expertise with us today. And we're going to talk about how not only the physical body is really important to maintain, but how that actually connects to your dog's behavioral health as well. So um, Caitlin, I'm going to hand it over to you. Can you just kind of give us some some insight into the dog's body, like how they move, how pain can impact how they move. Okay. Well, I would say first thing that maybe people don't know about dogs is, well, obviously they walk on four legs, which is a little different than humans. Most people do know that. But if we were to take the dog's body weight, 60% of that 
is carried on their front legs. So that means that more than half of the dog's body weight is being supported by those front legs. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, it's good to know because we see a lot of things um, in their muscles that can change from that. And then if you think about an injury or pain in the back end or the back, and they're trying to shift forward to take their weight off those back legs, now they've got even more weight on those front legs. And similarly, the opposite is true. So if a front leg hurts, they're going to try to shift back and put more weight on their back legs or change the position and posture of their spine to help them stand and move. So a lot of what we can kind of understand and and notice we can take from that and just understanding how they shift their weight and their center of gravity to help them move um, better and avoid something that hurts. So that would that would be... Again, that's probably the biggest tidbit bit, is that 60% number. The other thing too is just to think about how dogs carry their head. Um, you know, most dogs should be able to look up and around and, and move about. And oftentimes we'll see older dogs or dogs with injuries, their head will be lowered. You know, they really don't want to lift it up so much. They may seem fine otherwise, but they may hold their head and neck differently. Similarly, the tail, um, if they've got a tail, of course, how they hold and position that can tell us a lot about how their body's feeling or moving as well. Um, dogs do use their tail for balance and propulsion when they're in the water swimming like your dogs. Um, so those, those are all things, different factors. And then of course, with dogs, you have to take into consideration all of our different breeds and their they're funny shapes. So, you know, have short curved legs. Um, Akitas have oftentimes very straight back legs. Some German shepherds are kind of sunken down in the back end. And so we have to think about all those things and then try to evaluate why is my dog moving this way and how and why do they hurt? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a really good point to bring up about the different breeds. And I feel like how as owners, um, we need to be doing a good job of like knowing the breed and, you know, typically how that breed's body should be moving. So we can, you know, find similarities or differences as it pertains to how they're moving and, you know, their specific body shape. Right, right. Because what's normal for one dog may not be normal for another dog. And I also don't like, we're using the word normal because, you know, think about, we talk about dogs and limping. Well, what if they have three legs? You know, they're going to move differently and, and that normal is um, different for them. And, And again, same thing for different breeds. And so really we want them instead of normal, we want them functional. So whether, whether it's your, your pet or your um, competitive dog or, um, anything in between, we want them to be able to be functional and do what they need and want to do. And that may look different depending on their breed, injury, or um, even other medical things. Yeah. Let's talk about maybe, can we talk about like a specific like example you can think of like in a certain breed where, um, you know, maybe it's like, you know, a German shepherd with the sunken down back end and maybe the impact that has on like the rest of their physical health. Sure. So because I have some 
well, I have, well, I'm a veterinarian, but I also have chiropractic training and acupuncture. And so I really focus on the dog's spine because that all the information to and from our body and our legs have to go through the spine. And so a lot of our positions and postures and movements in our legs will affect how the back moves or doesn't move. So I mentioned that because in, you know, some of our straight legged dogs, you know, they can, they keep their legs kind of stiff and straight and they'll kind of rotate their pelvis um, to, almost stand up straighter or those German shepherds that are kind of sunken down, sometimes their pelvis can rotate the other direction. And then if they're limping or uh, moving differently or something hurts, you can either see them, you know, arch their spine. So for example, to use their back to bring their legs forward versus actually lifting the leg. And same thing with, you know, pushing off. So you, they push off the leg, back leg and extension, and your back should also extend. And so some of our German shepherds get a little more motion in their lumbosacral area, just because they have to kind of get their feet back and behind them more than an, another dog who may be standing up taller. And of course, there's, there's some genetic inherited things in there too, but um, just movement wise, they have to move a little bit differently. Um, and just let me think. Yeah, that was the German Shepherd that you mentioned. Um, aside from breed, I think the biggest example is just to think about any dog um, is kind of looking at their top line. So again, that spine. And oftentimes you can tell there's something hurting and can kind of start to figure out where if they're arching their back. So some dogs wow. will arch in their lower back. Some will arch right in the middle at that thoracolumbar lumbar junction. And others that are sore or have weak abdominal core muscles will sink and sway like a sway back horse. And that's, those things aren't really breed specific, more so just kind of quadruped um, specific changes that we can see with different things. Okay. Yeah, no, that's super great to know. And I think something else too, I think that this is a really good segue into like, common areas that you know pet owners can be watching for in their dogs and I think the point of bringing up the spine and watching how their dog the dog's back moves is is really important so um okay so ideally should the the spine and the dog's back be relatively like straight or should there be a curve like what I mean I know it's hard to describe with just our words but like as a general looking like if the dog's back seems like arched yes would that be something you would want to look further at just to make sure that the dog isn't in pain there you bet you bet um so with all of our spines um humans and dogs there are some natural curves so think about a dog um you know their head is higher than their shoulders and so as the spine comes from their head and down their back there's that natural curve right over the shoulders and there is a natural kind of curve in that lumbar kind of a little bit up to their, what we'd call their, you know, their rump. Yeah. Um, okay. Kind of like ourselves. So, you know, people, we talk about having like an S or C shape curve dogs, you know, you just lay that down and you have a little bit more of that. So generally when they're standing between their shoulders and their hips, hip bones or pelvis, Ideally, again, it can vary breed to breed, but ideally we want to see that fairly level and flat-ish. 
So, you know, some dogs that have very, or, or let's say they don't want to bend their legs and they're, they're keeping their back legs really straight, their rump may actually be up higher than their front. They look like they're kind of tipped down. Okay, um, yeah. Or, you know, vice versa, if they're weak in the back or whatnot, they may be sinking in the back and they're almost tipping down. Or again, you'll really see that dramatic, again, the best way I can describe it is that sway back horse, that instead of being fairly flat right in the middle, it looks like a, a U almost because they're just really sinking or- Like or, there's been a saddle there or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then the arching, honestly, I don't know that most people really, really notice it because again, there are some different shapes of the back, but- um, you can, I think most of us can see, and, and again, it's probably a change more than anything where they might be arching that back up just a little bit to protect a certain area of the back. Okay. Okay. So, um, when you're looking at treating a dog, that's your, that's your launching off point is looking at the spine first and foremost. Yeah. I would say I can kind of walk you through how I examine dogs and all the different things I'm looking for. Yeah, but yeah. If you could tell us yeah. kind of like the, the stuff that you're looking for, and obviously you're an expert in your field, but I feel like some of these subtle things, I feel like a lot of us spend a lot of time staring at our dogs and I feel like we maybe yeah. be able to notice some of these things just from a visual standpoint or even feeling. Sure. So I think one thing to note is that I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. I've had my hands on lots and lots of animals and it's, it's not super easy. You have to practice. So I don't want anybody out there, um, you know, to, to, to feel bad if they, they don't see that their dog is moving or, or looks differently. Cause the other thing is that dogs, they're, they're pretty good at hiding things. You know, yeah. they're still going to go chase that ball. They're likely still going to get up the stairs. It's just how they're doing it may be a little bit different. And you may, you may or may not notice that. Um, so like I say, one, don't feel bad. <laughs> Two, that's a great reason to have, um, you know, a rehab certified veterinarian put hands and observe your dog on a regular basis is to monitor for changes out of the ordinary, um, not to necessarily wait till something is dramatically wrong or there's been a surgery, but I digress. <laughs> so yeah, no. And that's, and seriously on that note, like, you know, the people who listen to this podcast have heard me preach before, but, um, Dr. Clay Caitlin is who works on both Tiva and Waylon and she can get in there and feel stuff that like, I definitely am not privy to. And it's not always that like they're in pain and they need anything, right? It's just kind of getting like that baseline and monitoring, especially for Tiva, right? Who's 12. Yeah. I feel like it's even more important. Yeah. And so whether I can help, you know, again, pending the dog and everything, I can help people, you know, give them tips as far as what to look for potentially, or what to feel based on their specific dog. Um, because again, even Tiva and Waylon are so incredibly different. And so in Tiva, you know, Waylon, if an area hurts, he's, he'll cry out and yell about it. If I, if yeah. I have something that hurts <laughs> and Tiva, we have to kind of see, does she like stop looking at taking treats and she kind of looks back or maybe she tenses and shakes a little bit. She's not as obvious in that sense, but I can show you the places that I feel and get different reactions. And that way, you know, you can monitor them. Um, and in any case, that's something, you know, people can do that probably more pet specific than overall, but um, so, sorry. um, okay. So kind of walk us through, like when you're looking at a dog, like, 
um, skeletal versus muscular, like, you know, how does that look for you when you're, when you're evaluating a dog? You bet. I would say the, so the first most important thing is just watching them and quite literally watching them move or not move. You know, are they just sitting in the corner and they don't really want to get up? Or how does the dog get up? Do they use all their legs? Do they pull a lot with their front legs? Uh, do they um, tuck their legs and not really use their back legs when they sit down? Uh, usually when I'm talking to the person that brought the dog in, I'm just watching them move around. And what do they do when I'm not asking them to do anything specifically? So observation is a big part. Uh, the next step would be that observation, but a little more controlled. So ideally, I want to see them at a walking gait, a trotting gait, if they can, and then turning in different circles so that I can see what each of the legs are doing. Is there any limping, lameness, favoring? So they would prefer to move one direction versus the other. Um, all those things come into just watching them. And then I have them to, um, or if, again, if they can, what do they look like when they hold a seated position? So ask the dog to sit. How do they do it? Um, so their transitions. How do they get into the seated posture? How do they stand up and can they stand up? Do they just slump down on the ground because they, they can't hold a sit? Similarly for a down posture. So ideally we wanna see that nice squared up sphinx look but some dogs will want to be on one side or, or pop a leg out. So all of those things go into that, that observation, as well as, yes, the spine. Is it arched anywhere? Um, I, there are natural motions that we see the spine move when they're walking, and so sometimes I'm looking for that or lack of that. Same thing with tail. Um, is the tail moving equally side to side, or is it tucked down between the legs? different things like that. That's all just the first step of observation. Um, let's see, the next step, and again, it doesn't always work in this order, but um, next thing would be feeling. So with my hands, I want to observe how do the muscles feel, um, meaning are they nice and supple? Are they atrophied? Are there symmetries from one side of the body to the other? Are there points where the dog kind of flinches and twitches. Uh, just a quick kind of scan will help with that. And then I move into an orthopedic evaluation where really what that means is I'm checking the you know, joints, muscles, and tendons. Do the legs move in their normal range of motion? Do the joints have any swelling? Is there crunchy crepitus when the joints move? Of course, is there pain? And what's that range of motion? So we should have some normal-ish um, amounts that at each joint should move in different dogs. And then, of course, part of all of that is a neurologic evaluation. So, you know, our muscles and joints and everything can't work without our brain and spinal cord and nerves telling them what to do. And so there's different things we can see and test for to see if their spinal cord and nerves are working um, properly, like reflexes, um, different postural tests? Do they know to flip their feet over? Are they kind of wobbly and ataxic? Or um, are they very stiff and straight? And maybe it's nerves and not muscles that are affected. 
And then I think finally, I know this is a lot of reason probably. But it's amazing, right? <laughs> like there's so much depth to evaluating. Right. There's so much depth to it. Okay. Okay. And also, yeah, I was a, I did a small animal, animal general medicine for five years after school and, and I, it was great, but I, I never felt or watch dogs like I do now. I mean, it really has come with practice and focus on these special things. Um, I, I couldn't have picked up the things I do now when I first got out of school. So yeah, there is a lot that goes into it and, and so much of it is learned with just my eyes and of course hands too. But, um, and it just all fits together too. You know, we vets should know how to do a neurologic exam, but how does that fit with, you know, how they're, presenting what they're doing what's you know what may or may not be going on and I feel like my job truly as a holistic practitioner is to put all of those pieces together the whole together you know I'm not just looking at a knee injury but what about the tissues around it what about the other legs that are affected what about the back that may change because that knee is injured and so that's why I have so many things to look for and feel <laughs> when I examine dogs yeah, no. And that's amazing. Right. And I think, you know, this applies to people and to dogs, but obviously since this podcast is about dogs, you know, I, and I preach this all the time is that like, you know, we're not really serving our dogs unless we're looking at the whole picture. Right. And looking at the whole physical picture is very, very detailed as it should be. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what's the final step in your evaluations? I think so probably the final step is what is called a motion palpation exam. And so that's really, that's an examination that chiropractic um, people do. And that's checking the motion of the joints of the spine. So, you know, it's very easy to think, oh, hey, there's a knee or an elbow. Look, it moves like this. That's, that's either normal or not normal. But it's true for each joint or complex in the back and spine and pelvis is that there should be a little bit of motion that's normal in those joints. They are joints. And so I want to check that and see if there's any area that is either painful or isn't moving quite right, or maybe just doesn't feel like it's shaped right. You know, there are some dogs that have abnormal, abnormally shaped vertebrae. Um, and that, that's pretty specific, you know, if I'm, A, if the dog lets me, but um, ideally that would be part of what I also check is, is those little joints of the back as well. Yeah, just to make sure since it's part of the whole picture, because if that isn't right, then that could be leading to lots of other issues, other places. Yes. You know, I think... I want to just be careful to help people understand that like there's normal wear and tear in dogs, just like there is in people. Yeah. Right. You know, and like, um, I'm kind of stiff in my shoulders right now, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. I think that there's a normal amount of like stiffness and soreness, but getting your dog seen by a qualified veterinarian who can get in there and really touch and feel that stuff that you can't, I think is important, you know, and I don't think this has to be like an every single month thing, but I think, you know, having a veterinarian that you trust to keep a baseline of how your dog is doing, I think is absolutely um, essential, right? Because then that way, I think we're less likely to run into these huge issues if we can feel them and you can get a sense for them early on. Right. Yeah. So just like we would, you know, well, as humans, but also our pets, we take, take them to the vet 
that and we get blood work done, whether that's every six months or annually. And you know, the idea is to that we're screening. So we're doing a check, we're checking in with the body, getting some info and seeing if we need to make some changes or if, if something's going on, what we can do about it. And I, ideally we wanna check so that we can prevent you know, we find something early and we can prevent it. So for example, if those kidney values are starting to creep up, we question why. We start looking at different ways we can uh, maybe help the kidneys and keep them functioning better versus if we just wait till the dog's in kidney failure and check their blood work and their values are horrible, there's, there's less we can do at that point. And physically, I believe it is exactly the same. Um, it seeing a, a rehab or, or even a truly even a veterinarian who is trained in chiropractic or acupuncture we just see and feel a little more but by seeing a veterinarian like that regularly we can find areas that maybe maybe are a little uncomfortable um each time and so we want to look a little further or um really a lot of prevention is just is helping dogs move normally you know not every dog is good with their feet or has good balance um there is some training with that just like people and so um really looking in that preventative way hopefully then ideally we can avoid major problems down the line but also delay onset of that that arthritis which you bet you bet we see arthritis just like ourselves um yeah. but hopefully we can lessen its impact over time yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like you brought up earlier, the fact that if the dog is very regularly being seen to make sure that their spine is where it's supposed to be, the, the muscles are normal, they're going to be able to move and function easily instead of overcompensating and overcompensating and overcompensating. Because I feel like, you know, that long trajectory of a dog who is, you know, in some sort of uncomfortable way for whatever reason, the longer that goes on, the more overcompensating that happens. And I feel like that just manifests, manifests itself into bigger, more painful problems down the line. Absolutely. I can kind of give you an example. Um, not kind of, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so, you know, one of the most common orthopedic injuries is tearing the cranial cruciate ligament of the knee. So it's very similar to our ACL in our knee. So it's usually not a traumatic problem, meaning um, sure, a dog can get hit by a car and that, that leg gets twisted and tears that ligament. Normally it happens over time. It's like a, a rope that starts to fray. So as they jump and, and twist in their daily lives, um, that ligament frays. And then at some point it reaches its, literally its breaking point. Well, in that time, they may, you may not notice it as the pet owner, but that leg may not be as well muscled as the other leg because they're, they're not putting quite as much weight on it. They're not pushing off of it quite as much as the other leg. Um, so that would be what start of some changes. Then they, um, you know, that means they also start putting more weight on the opposite front leg because, you know, they're on four legs. So they got to balance themselves out. Well, then over time, as that knee gets worse, they start to get some arthritis in their front wrist. And then maybe that shoulder because it's contacting and moving differently. And then potentially by the time they're, you know, 12, 13, 
And maybe this is when I see them. And I, I love treating my geriatric patients, but oftentimes my laundry list of the things that hurt and are problems we'll say is, is huge. And it can be hard to know what came first, you know, the chicken, um, is that, was that arthritis in the wrist first? And then they tore their knee or was it because their knee bugged them? And that just all added up to the front end and back. There's so many different patterns we'll see that are pretty similar. And, um, but all of that takes its toll over time. And some of that we can't prevent entirely, but we can certainly intervene and um, at least lessen a lot of those changes. What are some other common um, you know, ailments that you see in dogs. And I think, you know, dogs of all ages. Okay. So you're talking about, so the ligament tear, yep. are there any other ones that come to mind that you see pretty regularly? Dysplasia, Cause it's a little, a little soapboxy thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not, not making fun, not poking at anyone, but I, I want to educate. Um, people will oftentimes say with their older dogs, oh, they're, they're getting the hip dysplasia or now they've got it. So I want to break down the word dysplasia. It means dis, meanings, meaning, excuse me, improper, uh, plasia, meaning growth. So really what happens at a young age, the hip joint just doesn't form in a 100% perfect way. And there's all types of degrees of this. And oftentimes, if it's really, really bad, that's when we see it when they're young. I mean, even at puppies and probably have a surgery early on. When we see hip dysplasia later in life in dogs, it's not because they just got it. It's because it's actually arthritis that has been cycling in that crummy joint year after year after year after year. And we don't usually pick it up until they start to get a little older. They're a little stiff. They don't have as much muscle mass. And now we notice, hey, they're not going up those stairs as well. So I say that because obviously I see a lot of that. Hey, my dog isn't getting up as well. They're older. They're not getting in the car as well. They're not jumping as high, things like that. But sometimes it, it can be that arthritis is, is a chronic problem. And so um, just kind of kind of describing that for people and, and, and not to harp on it, but an, another reason to, to check and feel things early on in life because um, we may be able to catch it earlier and, and do a little more prevention. Okay. But yeah, I would say treating sore hips and hip arthritis is, is very common in a lot of our bigger dogs. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that's important is recognizing that like your dogs don't need this care, like after they're like six or seven, right? Like ideally, if you can be getting them this regular care throughout their life, then you're going to be able to give them the best chance. Right. Like, and that's really good to know because I, I hear that a lot. Like, oh, they have hip dysplasia now. Like, well, they probably had it. Right. Right. It doesn't just it doesn't just develop because they're old. It's it's an right. underlying issue that's probably always been there. Right, right. Or it's been a current. And then again, that's not to make anybody feel bad. I just want want people to understand, you know, that a our dogs don't always show us. You know, that young Labrador who's chasing the ball, his hips may not bug him a whole lot because he's so well muscled and he's just powering through it. And just things that up over time. 
and then and then we see the end the end part of it is when they start to show us yeah okay and you know as someone who has an aging dog knowing like how she's doing and like not feeling like we're gonna have this like sudden decline because we're we're not aware of what's going on right like I think it's good and then that way as the owner I have some options right like giving her supplements and stuff to kind of help with some of the arthritis stuff that we know is already there yeah there's a lot a lot of ways we can intervene um both preventatively but also maintenance wise and you know really a lot of what I do is is maintenance versus um treating a disease or really curing I mean I I don't surgery can fix some things meds can fix some diseases uh I'm usually managing managing arthritis managing pain and helping them move and function better versus I mean I can't take away arthritis you know unfortunately I can't what I do doesn't change the joints, um, but we can help everything else around them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk really quickly about how dogs' behavioral health is really tied into and really just a part of, like you were saying, the wholeness of the dog, right? Yeah. So, um, Something that is really big in my practice is when I get a call from an owner, like, you know, the dog has a sudden behavior change. I want them to be seen by a rehab vet like you, right? Because it's very uncommon for there to be like just sudden behavior changes without some sort of outside extraordinary circumstances. And oftentimes it is physical pain. Sure. You bet. So pain is, is physical, but it's also emotional. And we have studies now that show that it can actually change our, our physio- physiology. So pain is, it's a very broad word and I won't break it down any further than that because it gets complicated too, but it, it affects everything. It affects everything in our body. Um, I can give you an example of a dog I recently saw if that. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. So I was, I was called from some clients and they have uh, Malamutes. And this Malamute is four years old. They've had him since he was a puppy. They've always had other dogs. And they called and asked me, they said, he's grumpy. He doesn't like his brother. He's mean. Do you think acupuncture can help? And I said, well, it could. You know, acupuncture complements a lot of treatments and oftentimes um, training and sometimes even medications and things. We need to put all those together to get the best result. But you know what? Let me check him out. I said, maybe something hurts because if something hurts, I know I can definitely treat that. And then maybe we can work on his behavior. So went out and saw him and turns out that when he was a puppy, he actually broke his femur and his back leg. And I saw right away this dog, he arches, he arches his back when he stands and his position in the house where he likes to hang out is either on the window seat that's up above everybody where he can see everything or in the dining room with his, the leg that he hurt against the wall. And similarly, he can see everything and everyone around him. And anyway, I just, my thought was that he was protecting himself. He either because whether he's in currently in pain and doesn't want to be bothered or messed with or expects that something hurts because of that injury 
I think he was positioning himself and treating the other dogs like he was because he hurt. And turns out he didn't let me do a great examination because he was a little grumpy. Understandably, I'm in his house feeling around, but he, his uh, kneecap was moving or luxating, luxating patella. And we didn't, they, nobody knew. Honestly, he'd been jumping up on his window seat. He'd been going in and out the stairs in the dog door. He wasn't limping, holding that leg up. But from that previous injury, every time he took a step, his kneecap was moving in and out and it was grinding. So we were able to address that and actually with surgery and whatnot. But I'm, I'm so interested to see, you know, once we get him quite literally feeling better, moving better, if he will have more tolerance for his brother and maybe even want to play versus telling him to get away from him. Yeah, no. And I think that that's such a great example. And I think something that needs to be, you know, pointed out too, is that um, while general, general practice veterinarians can be great, if they don't have the experience of actually like touching and feeling and understanding like where things should and shouldn't be, that's not, that's not like the exam that I'm talking about, you know, just like your regular vet looking at the dog and just saying, no, they're totally fine. Like there's so much more to it, you know? And I think that that's a distinction that people need to realize, right? Like just your general practice veterinarian is, doesn't have the extra schooling and education that you do. And that's, you know, no, it's not no fault of their own. It's not bad. You know, it's just that that's, we can only learn so much in veterinary school. And again, five, six years ago, I couldn't see the things I see or feel the things I feel. And so it's never because you're the vet you know and love is a bad vet. It's just not what they practice and have a lot of experience in. I mean, don't ask me to go do a surgery. Yeah, right, exactly. I can look at a dog and feel a dog maybe very well. But I couldn't go do a splenectomy tomorrow anymore. I haven't been doing those things. I couldn't, you know, um, probably couldn't draw blood real well, to be totally honest. So it's it's not, again, it's not that they're bad. And I think we're so incredibly fortunate in Colorado in that we have so many veterinarians and so many specialized veterinarians available um, that I'd, I'd always encourage people, you know, to, to get a second opinion or to ask ask around and look around. because. I promise your veterinarian just wants your dog to be better. And I think truly most will admit what they do or don't know and are willing to have input. Um, And I know I would always much, if I don't know exactly what's going on, I would so much rather they go somewhere else and they say, Hey, Caitlin, we found this great. Awesome. I'm so glad that, you know, you were able to do that. Now let's all work together. So totally right. And like having a veterinary team, yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that can really help and aid in that. I'll just, I'll let you go into it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let me, I guess maybe kind of, I'll let, I'll set the scene of what are the, the things I do and the treatments I offer. Um, one is manual therapies. Two is acupuncture. Three is therapeutic exercise. Four different modalities. And I can explain those. And then, um, Hydrotherapy, which I currently can't do, but I I can speak to that a little bit just because having water around can be tough and I don't, I can't take that to people's houses right now. So someday, 
Um, so manual therapies, I put chiropractic in that because we're using manual meaning hands. So between massage, between joint mobilizations, stretching, feeling the spine, and maybe even doing that manipulation of the joint. Um, basically we are trying to restore function to all the different joints of the body, help them move better and more appropriately. Again, whether it's your knee or it's the, the little, um, between the two vertebrae in your back. Um, yeah, so that's that in a nutshell. How about that? <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a great explanation. No, that's great. Okay, so um, let's talk about um, some of the other modalities that you mentioned. So acupuncture is another. Uh, I'm trained in medical acupuncture, which just means that um, when I am, am using acupuncture, I'm really thinking and want to know what's what's happening, what's, what's actually happening in the body, some evidence-based medicine. It, it, there is a lot behind it. Um, we know that we can actually stimulate uh, the receptors in the body with a needle to talk to the nervous system, meaning the nerves, spine, and brain, and we can get different pathways signaling. And those different pathways can tell the body to release certain hormones um, like serotonin that make them feel better and make pain go away or it can signal pathways that can actually stop and block some of the pain pathways. Um, thirdly, needles can actually help break up a trigger point. So a muscle that's all twisted and knotted can actually mechanically bring blood flow into that area and help that muscle relax. Wow. So I use a lot, a lot of acupuncture. Um, everything I do really goes so hand in hand that we're talking to what we can feel, but it's talking and influencing the spinal cord and brain and, and movement as a whole. Wow. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Acupuncture. I I'm all, I've always been a big believer, but to hear you explain it like that is it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I promise the needles aren't big. Most dogs are fantastic. I mean, most dogs don't yeah. even notice them. So anybody who thinks that their dog wouldn't like it, or you'd be surprised, even those wiggly ones, we can usually, um, get some needles in. And it's amazing how oftentimes most dogs, you will see them visibly relax and kind of settle down a bit because their body just takes, takes that input and, and knows what to do with it. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, another thing I use a lot is laser therapy. So I actually have a class four laser and not to bore anybody, but let me kind of give some details about lasers. Um, we hear a lot of either low level laser or cold laser therapy. And really all that means is that when we, when we talk about lasers, they can either be very low powered to where they don't emit any heat energy, or they can be very high powered where they are high enough that they can make heat. And our treatment is still the same in the sense that we're delivering a certain dose of energy to the cells. If you have a lower powered laser, it's going to take a lot longer. If you have a yeah. higher powered laser, you can usually get that dose to the cells quicker. Um, there are times where both can be appropriate. I love my, my laser for my arthritic dogs because it does heat. And it, when I'm applying it, it feels like a warm massage to them. Nice. Yeah. I have tried. I, I do know this. <laughs> I know that. And so for those conditions, I think it's great. We get the effects to the cells that help um, decrease pain and swelling and initiate healing. But when they're getting the treatment, it feels like a nice warm massage. Um, cold laser is good because it doesn't heat the, cell, the tissues. And that may be appropriate if there is a 
um, if we're around a like a puppy's joint that hasn't um, the growth plate hasn't uh, completely fused yet or um, trying to think of another example we never laser around cancer so that doesn't matter which one but um different things we may use different lasers for so just just a little clarification in there i promise they're all acting in the same way they're all stimulating the cells of the body the same way it's just the precautions we have to take around the different powered device okay and then what do we know as far as like um how the laser can promote healing yeah, so my best example is to think about trees and photosynthesis. So plants, uh, the leaves take light energy from the sun and they turn it into their own cell energy. That energy meaning different signaling that helps them talk to grow and do different things that they normally should. So laser really is doing the same thing. It is... Um, giving a certain wavelength of light energy. The cells of the body absorb it and the mitochondria, which is a little powerhouse within the cell, turns that energy into ATP and can start, basically jumpstart the cells to do better at what they normally do. So our body should know to take swelling down. Our body knows how to reduce pain, it should heal but now we're helping it do it a little better and faster. Nice. Okay, cool. And I think that that's something that's more readily accessible than people think. Mm -hmm. I know that especially here in Colorado, I mean, we're super spoiled in a lot of ways in like the dog realm, but um, even just my general practice veterinarian has a laser, right? So, um, and that's something that's actually relatively affordable. So I think that that's something that maybe, maybe we're accessible to people than they think. Many more uh, regular veterinarians are also trained in acupuncture. And so um, I think just asking around uh, laser, you know, is used not just for, I mean, I obviously I treat a lot of joints and muscles, but when I worked in general practice, we would laser over um, lacerations or skin problems because we wanted to help them heal better. So lots and lots of applications. Therefore, many, many veterinarians are, are using using those things and, and acupuncture too. So sometimes you just have to ask. But yeah, for there. sure. For it's sure. not just offered by rehab certified veterinarians. Cool. Cool. Okay. So, um, let's talk about some therapeutic exercises that you use in your work. Yeah. So, um, because I do most of my visits at people's homes, um, I carry around a lot of different stuff in my car. So Cavaletti rails, which really is just poles. So stepping over, um, low rails or poles, um, different squishy discs to help with balance and proprioception. Uh, and then, well, obviously I carry my laser in my car too and my needles, that's really easy. And then I have some physio rolls or peanuts, we call them for either helping dogs stretch or to stand on just different things. So the things I want to promote with different exercises is, um, strengthening of muscles, um, increased or better balance and what we call proprioception. So knowing where their legs are in space. Um, and then improve range of motion. So again, dog may be walking, but can we help them walk better? Can we get, take a bigger step or push off better, turn better or whatnot? So it can be, exercises can be anything from helping them stand up straight 
and shift their weight. Um, things that people can do at home without any special equipment, all the way up to you know setting up an obstacle course, kind of like kind of like an agility um, course where we're having them turn through things, step over things, balance on things. Uh, it's so very specific to the dog and a what the dog's willing to do, able to do, and what we're trying to our goal as far as what we want to get out of them and help them with. Yeah, and I think you know that's kind of across the board, you know, like right? Like dogs who are in really good shape and just doing like some of those therapeutic exercises just to promote that stuff all the way to dogs who are like maybe recovering from a surgery and or geriatric, right? Like I think all of that is super applicable to dogs across the spectrum of age and physical capabilities. Yeah. There's, you know, I, again, there's treating diseases and getting dogs better from something recovery. I mean, that is what rehabilitation is, but a lot of my work too is just He's almost like a personal trainer. Yeah, right. Dogs, is that um, even if something doesn't hurt or they don't have something wrong per se, we can improve how they move. We can improve their confidence and their footwork, just like people. Um, you know, I bet you most of us, we sit in the car for me a lot of the day or at a desk, go walk across a, um, a balance beam. It sounds super easy. You could do it as a kid. But when you're not practicing it, it's not that easy. And the same is true for dogs. Or, yeah, you can do a squat, but now I want you to stand on one of those, like, BOSU balls and now squat. It's tough. And it's not, that's nothing special. You know, a bodybuilder should be able to do that as well as a normal person. And so same thing with our dogs. Some of the things I love is just helping your dog and teaching them and training them to walk backwards to sidestep, to, um, you know, really, again, oh, so much of what I do too, when it comes to exercise is training and I could learn a lot more. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Commands and having, you know, sit down, stand, stay, come those things. Even you can take those and do them on land. Now do them on an unstable surface or have them do it while lifting a paw, have them doing it on an incline, a decline. There's so many things that we can do to help them move differently. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that stuff can be super accessible to everyone, right? Like you said, even without any equipment and, you know, we're, we're in the hot months right now. And I feel like when, you know, it's 95 degrees outside and we're hanging out in air conditioning, that's a really great, not only physical, but training exercise to do as well. Yeah. I've been, my dogs need a trainer. (laughs) because I say I'm not a good trainer I lure dogs with food I get them to move how I want to with food and treats but it really is a bonding and training time between the dog and the owner because again I'm working on having my dog sit and wait and I'm just changing where they do it and how they do it and um or again, sidestepping and things like that. And so, yes, if I can't get them out to walk, we'll just go up and do some exercises when we do some work. And it's amazing. Their brains are stimulated. They're happy. They're rewarded. Um, you know, all goes back to behavior and everything you do is that it's, it's so good for them and they want to work for us. They want to do things. Now they don't get all the smells in that they do outside and they don't have to run 10 miles to be tired and worked out. I'm having them do little things that's working other, other muscles that maybe they wouldn't when we're out on a walk and they enjoy it just as much. And we all say, 
Yeah, for sure. And you know, that is, you're getting so much bang for your buck in that time too. It doesn't have to be a long amount of time. You're getting training, you're working on behavior and you're improving, improving their overall physical health. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so much value in some of the exercises that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think let's kind of wrap up by talking about how, if the dog's body is sound, how that can really just improve their overall health. Yeah, I think so when they're, I'm going to go kind of to the opposite when they're not sound. So if they're limping or moving abnormally, let's say, and it's because of pain more than likely, um, that leads to guarding leads to fear. It leads to reluctance to perform. Um, that doesn't mean sitting in the corner, but maybe they don't want to sit and do it, sit in a normal posture. So I think, oh, and interactions with other dogs. So, yeah. so all of it comes, comes together. So then we take it back to the, the sound dog. I think a dog who is comfortable, non-painful, comfortable and sure of their body, they're going to be more apt to um, do the things you ask them to do as the trainer, as the parent, to sit and hold that sit while they're waiting for their dinner or to, um, they're going to have better interactions and relationships with other animals and people because maybe they're not afraid that somebody's going to touch or get near that painful spot around their hip. Um, they're going to be much more at, again, performance wise and be able to jump higher, uh, over the, um, jumps. They're going to be able to do the weave pulls faster because they, they know how to use their body. They're sure of it and it doesn't hurt. So, um, kind of both sides of it there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think, you know, the point you brought up about confidence in their body and the movement, I think that that is huge. And, you know, that's not something that every dog just comes with. And, you know, thinking about how quickly dogs go from puppy size to adult size, I mean, especially in these larger breeds, you know, I think it's super valuable. And these large breeds with your young dog is really teaching them how to use their back legs, their front legs, and how that can transform not only how they move to prevent injury, but also just who they are and how they can interact with their world. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't don't know if there's any studies, but it makes sense to me that if your dog and you know know how to move and you're practicing different movements and, and you're strong as a whole, when you step in a hole or trip, you don't smash your face in the ground. You, you roll, you, and, and I think the same thing can be true for dogs is that if we're working in different ways on different movements and activities, um, when they maybe chase that Frisbee and take a turn, maybe they won't tear that knee ligament as badly, or, or maybe they won't at all because their body knows how to react and adapt because they've been working on weaves and turns, um, you know, with their person. And those muscles were, were developed and, and activating really, they were, they were working well. So I, I think that there's where prevention comes in is that, um, by helping them move better at all ages and understand where their legs are and how to move them, that hopefully they, they won't injure themselves as much because accidents of course happen, but. Yeah. Well, and you know, obviously we all want the best for our dogs, but you know, money is a commodity too. And I think that if you can invest your money in maintenance, I think that that decreases the likelihood of a gigantic bill from a surgery. I think, yeah, I think so too. And, um, 
or I know so too. And, yeah. you know, honestly, I say I, I can be like a personal trainer sometimes. Ideally, my goal is to teach as well. So what I'd always tell people is you can have me treat, see your dog twice a week, every week for the rest of its life. That'd be awesome. Cool. Just like we people at New Year's sign up for that gym membership and personal trainer. Yeah. That's doable for some people. Great. Otherwise, if it's not, we check things out. I give them some tips, things to look for, watch for, call me if something changes. And we check in every six to eight weeks, maybe. And, or maybe it's twice a year. I mean, it really just depends on the dog's age, what's going on and whatnot. And then maybe it's not till they're older that we need to do more regular treatments, or I can at least show you, help you, you know, do some more stuff at home. So it's, it's so very specific dog to dog and cat to cat. Um, and it really is, it's, it's a whole individualized kind of program for every dog. So it's, it's worth just getting them checked out and kind of feeling everything out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll just preach on it one more time. Um, I think that the fact that we have you as part of our team is essential, right? Um, I require a lot of my dogs physically and I owe it to them, right? To make sure that I'm giving them the physical maintenance that they need to keep up with the demands that I'm, I'm requesting of them. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of times I have to tell people to stop doing some of the things they're doing with their dogs or they need to hold back. They're going too far, too fast. It's too hard. Um, but I don't have to tell you that with your dogs because you, you do train them again. Yes, you're training, but, but it, just physically you, you've worked up to the things that they do. They, you give them rest days, so many things that we look at in, in human training and competing, you know, you've done with your dogs too, both physically, mentally. And so, um, you know, we, we fix things that they tweak from time to time, but you've done a lot of the hard work with them. And I love that. I don't have to tell you to stop doing what you're doing (laughs) because, because they really are doing well. I mean, they are, they are, they are doing it well. (laughs) And so my God, right. Well, and seriously, the last time you put hands on Tiva and you're like, she actually feels the best I've ever felt. her. like, (laughs) dude, at 12 and we're still hiking like crazy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud, you know, kudos to you for, for doing everything that you do for them and and giving them such amazing lives because it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, uh, any final thoughts on how dogs physical health influences their overall health and their behavioral health? I would say, I'm going to just end with kind of a big word and I'll explain it, but (laughs) multimodal treatment. And basically that means using different ways to treat or prevent. And that goes, it's so many things in our dogs, but with behavior and physical stuff too, there's not going to be one fix. You know, if I could tell you again, that every dog would behave better after they came and saw me. I I mean, I can't tell you that there's never a silver bullet. It's really a combination of therapies and different things that you as the the human, as a pet owner can do. And so that is, that is having a trainer seeking out training. That is having a veterinarian that can feel and watch your dog. Sometimes it's medications. Absolutely. Um, but it's really all of that and finding the best recipe, um, that works for you and your dog, because they're all different and everybody's different. Everybody's budget's different. And so yeah, we just have to, we have to find the best way to put all those different things together um, to help your dog. 
Awesome. Okay. So, um, Caitlin, how can people connect with you? So I have a, probably the best way is through my website. Okay. Um, my business is on track veterinary care track is T R A C that stands for therapeutic rehabilitation, acupuncture, and chiropractic. So I kind of go by on track vet, uh, in Facebook. And I think, gosh, maybe on Twitter too. Well, anyway, Facebook, <laughs> but anyway, Facebook, nice. and, yeah. um, my website is on track vet.com. Let's awesome. leave it and, at that. <laughs> yeah. And guys, I'll include um, links to um, all that in the show notes too. So if you want to connect with Caitlin and then guys, if you are in the Denver area, she does have a physical office and she does see people in home too. So if you're in Colorado, um, I highly, highly recommend her. Okay. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Rachel. Do you want to be able to trust your dog off leash? Do you want to improve your relationship with your dog? A dog with a trustworthy recall gets way more opportunities to adventure and be a dog. Let's be honest, having a dog that doesn't come when called really kind of sucks. So do you want to make your life easier? Do you want to learn how to train a trustworthy recall? Do you have 10 minutes a day to devote to training for just 30 days? Check out my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you step-by-step instructions for teaching a trustworthy recall with just 10 minutes a day for 30 days. You can learn more about trustworthy recalls at agfdogtraining.com. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.